It's Miracle Day again, boys and girls, and it's a weird one today. We're going to Mark chapter 11. And Mark and I actually have something in common. We both like sandwiches. Let me explain. Several years ago, um, I was one of those crazy days where I was chasing toddlers. I had, um, I had a doctor's appointment. We had errands to run. And I get home about halfway through the day and I realize I haven't had nothing to eat and I'm starving. So all I can think about is making myself a delicious ham sandwich just the way I like it. Okay, so I I quick get the older two kids to nap time and then Micah, who was three months old at the time, I get him kind of settled. He's hanging out with me and then I'm ready to make my ham sandwich. I've got the good bread. I've got the, the, the shaved ham just the way I like it. Two pieces of Swiss cheese, some crisp lettuce. Can I get an amen here? Anyone else hungry? Is it just me? And then the, the, that gourmet mustard, the Grey Poupon stuff, I love that stuff. I put the whole sandwich together, and I'm ready to take a bite. And all of a sudden, Micah starts crying. Ugh. So I put the sandwich down. I go pick up the baby, and I'm kind of jostling him around, getting him settled. Like, how can I hold him and eat the sandwich at the same time? Because that's the priority here. So I finally get him settled, like, on this arm right here. And I still have this arm free to eat my sandwich. And so I pick up the sandwich and I'm ready to take a bite. And I see that a little bit of the mustard has dripped on my hand. And so I do what anyone would do when your hands are full and you don't have access to a napkin. You would do it too. I licked the mustard off the side of my hand. And about halfway through the lick, I realized that I don't taste like mustard. <laughs> and then about the same time, I realized that the stuff dripping out of Micah's diaper was about the same color as gourmet mustard. Yep. I would like to say that um, I didn't eat that sandwich, but I did. All right. Because I like sandwiches. I cleaned myself up first. I cleaned him up, but I still ate the sandwich. Mark, in this chapter, actually, we'll see like sandwiches. In fact, he uses 10 of these literary, not a great Poupon sandwich, but a literary sandwich 10 different times in his gospel. And what he does here is he takes a story and he starts out with a story. And then all of a sudden, smack dab in the middle of the story, he inserts another story into it. And then he goes back to that story number one again. It's this story sandwich. He loves to do this. And every time he does it, he's not just doing it because he's sharing the the events sequentially, but those stories are meant to be read together. The one story is, is meant to help us understand and interpret the other. So as we go to Mark chapter 11, I want you to watch for the sandwich. All right. We're going to start reading in chapter 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. 
And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So this is just kind of a strange story. It's one of those stories that sometimes, you know, when you're reading scripture, you're like, huh, well, that's odd. I'm going to keep reading. And it's kind of those stories we want to skip over a little bit because it's just strange. It's odd. It's, it's it almost seems like Jesus is hungry. And so he, he goes and he takes it out on this fig tree and curses the fig tree. And then he goes to the temple and he has a temple tantrum. You see how I did that there? Temple. And, and he starts overturning the money changers' tables and he kicks people out of the temple. And, and in, in another uh, gospel version of the story, he... he um, he curses the temple. He, he um, has this prophecy about the temple. And then they go back past the fig tree again, and it's withered from the roots up. And I just kind of go, like, Jesus, I don't, I don't know if this is a good look for you. Like, I don't know if this is your best side. Because I grew up with the Jesus that had the lamb, like, over his shoulders like this. You all remember that one, right? And he was nice, and he was kind, and he was gentle. And this Jesus in this passage seems kind of bold, kind of prophetic, and maybe even a little bit mean. (laughs) In my house, we call this hangry. Y'all know what hangry is, right? It's when you're hungry and you're angry. Imagine I have a Venn diagram here. Here's hungry, here's angry. We push them together, that little overlap in the middle, that's called hangry. And, And people who are hangry, they are so hungry that they lose the ability to think rationally. They tend to kind of overreact. No one in here ever gets hangry, right? Okay, just raise your hand if you, I am the person in my family that gets hangry. It's true. Like I'm the girl who, um, I'm the girl who will eat a snack while I'm making a snack because it's taking me too long to make the snack, so I just go ahead and eat. So here, I'm like, Jesus, I get it. Like, I've been there. I know what you're going through. It's okay. But at the same time, I kind of go, wait a minute. This is the guy who fed 5,000 people. Like, he kind of made food out of nothing. It just doesn't make sense that he would get ticked off about a couple of missing figs, right? There must be something more going on here under the surface. There's more to this than meets the eye. Well, here's the deal. This is a miracle, but it's not just a miracle. It's also a parable. It's a lived out parable. So Jesus does these spoken parables, but sometimes he does these parables that he actually does them. He lives them out. So this is a living parable, and it's a parable for Israel. It's a metaphor for Israel. Do you know that a fig tree, Israel is compared to a fig tree over 40 times in Scripture. Over 40 times. And so there's this metaphor for Israel in the fig tree and in the temple. It'd be kind of like, um, you know, 
we see a bald, eagle, a bald eagle and we think USA, right? And so these guys maybe would have seen a fig tree and they would have thought, oh, Israel. And so there's this thing that happens where Jesus, he examines the temple and he sees all this hustle and bustle and activity and crowds and programming and rituals and yet he sees no fruit. And so he pronounces judgment on the temple. And then he sees the tree and he sees this big, green, leafy, seemingly healthy thing. And he gets up close and he examines it and he sees that it has no fruit. And so he curses it. And so, yes, this is a parable. It's a metaphor for Israel. And we know that like 40 years later, actually, that, that temp the temple was destroyed but it's not just a metaphor for Israel, it's a metaphor for us too. It is a parable for those who refuse to bear fruit. So let's unpack this a little bit. Let's unpack this. I don't know if you noticed it when we were reading, but Mark says this really weird thing in there. Did you notice it? He says, he says that Jesus found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Don't you find that odd? I mean, we know that this was the Passover week, and so it probably would have been late March, early April. And fig trees don't bear figs until like late August. So it's like, wait, it's like, it's like it would be like you, for example, walking up to an apple tree in April and getting all ticked off because it doesn't have any apples ready for you to eat. It's like, wait, what? Well, that doesn't make sense. And so this, my friends, is where Google comes in handy because I know nothing about fig trees and I got to learn a thing or two about fig trees, including the fact that there's more about fig trees than just fig newtons. But I also learned that fig trees, they, they have two crops of fruit every year. Yes, they have the crop of fruit that we all know about. That's the figs in late August. That's the second crop of fruit. There is a first crop, a first fruit called a Breba fruit that happens in late March, early spring, or late March, early April. And the, the Breba fruit, um, it actually grows first. It's the first fruits. And so first the Breba fruit grows and then the leaves grow over top of it. And so Jesus would have actually had to have lifted up the leaves to examine to see if there was any fruit there. And, and they're these, they look kind of like figs, but they're smaller, they're firmer, they're greener, and you can eat them. In fact, people did eat them then, especially poor people would eat them. They're kind of a tasty little snack. They're not as good as the big, juicy, sweet figs, but they'll do in a pinch, right? So Jesus goes over to the fig tree, and he examines the fig tree, he lifts up the leaves, and he sees... There's no fruit here. And here's the kicker. If there's no breba fruit, there's no first fruits on a fig tree, it means there's not going to be any figs later on either. So Jesus sees there's no fruit and he goes, not only is there no fruit today, this tree has no intention of ever bearing any fruit. And so he curses it. Because God has no tolerance for trees that are all show but no substance, and he has no tolerance for people and communities that are all show and no substance. Jeremy and I, my husband and I, are actually high school sweethearts, collective awe. 
I try to keep that information away from my kids, though, because I do not want them to think that that is a possibility for them. <laughs> but the very, one of the very first times I was over at his house, it was actually a youth group event. We weren't even dating yet. And it was the first time I met his mom. I remember we were over there, and well, this is how Jeremy, this is like a fantastic first impression to make, by the way. The way Jeremy tells the story is that his mom came and got him and said, Jeremy, you've got to come look at this, come see what this girl is doing. And so he follows his mom downstairs, and she points him to me. Apparently, I'm sitting on the couch eating the potpourri out of the potpourri dish that is sitting on the coffee table. It's a good first impression to make right there. Well, he still married me. I say he married me for my fresh breath, but in my defense, I do kind of feel like I need to defend myself. In my defense, it was like this homemade potpourri that was made out of dried apples and cinnamon and some other stuff. And so, like, you know, it wasn't like I was putting pine cones in my mouth or something, but the fact still remains that I was eating potpourri. That's just... <laughs> All show, no substance. It wasn't meant to be eaten. It was just for decoration. It was just for display. It was just for show. And Jesus is pointing to this tree with this outward showiness and this inner barrenness. And he points to the temple with this outward showiness and inward barrenness. And he points to Israel and he even points to us. And if God were to examine us, if he were to lift up the leaves of our lives, what kind of fruit would he see? What would he find? Just because there's leaves doesn't mean there's life. And just because there's religious activity doesn't mean there's real fruit. But you know, I think that there's another layer to this parable slash miracle here that Jesus is doing. There's another layer here that I want to uncover because yes, I think that Jesus used the fig tree as a metaphor for us when we refuse to bear fruit, but I also think that there is this hopefulness in the middle of that because when Jesus curses the fig tree, he is also obliterating our shame. He is pointing to the reality that he makes it possible to live without shame, to live without separation from God. Do you know the first time that a fig leaf, fig tree shows up in scripture? Yeah, Genesis, Genesis 3, 7 to be exact. Adam and Eve have just sinned. They're in the garden. And it says that their eyes were open and they felt ashamed. So they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. I think there was a kind of a practical reason for the fig leaves because actually fig leaves are quite large and so it would have covered the most real estate in that particular moment. But more than that, these leaves represented, they came to represent the shame that they felt and this distance that all of a sudden existed between them and God. And it's that same distance and that same shame that we've been trying to cover up, maybe not with fig leaves, but with other stuff every generation since then. Those fig leaves, they represent 
that shame and that separation that came into being with that original sin. Have you ever noticed how little kids are just totally unashamed? Like, truly, parenting a toddler, 50% of it is following them around the house and putting the clothes back on them that they take off. Like, they're just constantly stripping. And there's also something about that age, they have no concept of personal space. None whatsoever. You can have a giant couch and a toddler will come and sit next to you as close as humanly possible every single time. My, my son Ty, I think I have a picture of it. And this guy, sometimes when he has a bad dream or something, he'll sneak into bed with us at night. And um, man, every single time, he's just all up on my business. And so, and then he sweats. It sounds cute that he's cuddling, but it's not. He's sweaty. He's a sweaty sleeper. And so I scoot away, and then he scoots closer. And there's there's a picture right before that. And I scoot away, and he scoots closer until finally I'm like literally clinging to the edge of the bed. And then you got the picture of him and Ava. I took this picture at a hotel. They had this huge bed, just the two of them. And like, little dude cannot help himself. He's just right there. This, this is how God created us. We are created to be as close to him as humanly possible. No personal space. No shame. No fig leaves. And so here's Jesus. He's standing on a hill outside, I imagine, he's standing on a hill outside of Jerusalem. He's looking at this fig tree. He knows that he is days away from dying on the cross. And he sees all this hustle and bustle and activity all around him. And he sees generations of God's children in his mind's eye from past, present to future, all just kind of scurrying around, trying and trying to cover up their shame. And and to cover up with, you know, busy schedules or lots of friends or good grades or, I don't know, daily devotions, whatever it is they're trying to do. And yet there's still that distance between them and God because we're trying to do it on our own and in our own strength. And when you try to do it that way, all you've got is leaves. They might be beautiful leaves, but they're just leaves, no fruit. So when I imagine Jesus on that hill that day looking at that tree, I don't think he was angry at the tree I don't think he was angry at the lack of fruit. I don't think he was angry at the temple. I don't even think he was angry at us. I think his heart was grieved at the lie that so many of us have bought into that somehow we can do this without him. And so he cursed the curse. He cursed the curse itself, that thing that we've been trying to hide ourselves behind to keep us from God, that, that lie that distances us from God. He's like, no more. Because the cross, because of what he did on the cross, you don't have to live with that kind of shame anymore. Just like Jesus examined the temple and he examined the tree, we are going to put ourselves in a position where we allow him to lift up those leaves of our life and to see what kind of fruit we are producing. 
Listen carefully. Sometimes we need everything to wither up and die before we realize how much we need him. So allow him to examine you, but also allow him to remind you that the curse is cursed, that we don't need to cover up our shame with fig leaves anymore, that our shame has been obliterated through his work on the cross. It's been obliterated by the body and the blood. But ask the Lord to show you where your life is more show and less substance. Ask him to remind you that he's taken care of it. He's taken care of the shame, that you can be as close to him as humanly possible. 